0: Christmas time, and if we're just uh, completely honest, and, and some of us know this better than others, that uh, Christmas uh, is, isn't everybody's favorite time of the year. There's all kinds of reasons that uh, that sometimes we struggle a little more than others uh, at Christmas time, and, and uh, for sure, I, I read an article this week, and it just listed several. I want to mention a few, you know, maybe uh, uh, Christmas, if we're really uh, concerned about Uh, environmental kind of things, then we know that Christmas time produces way more waste in the United States than any other time of the year. The the EPA has determined that the amount of household garbage in the U.S. increases by about one million tons between Thanksgiving thanksgiving and new years and and maybe you can recognize this just by the number of times amazon shows up at your door you know and and uh, just the christmas packages and so just waste goes up that uh, the things that we consume sort of goes up at at christmas time Uh, this article also mentions that while uh, i know some of you start to listen to christmas music you know uh, right after the Fourth of July, uh, some of us, uh, some folks maybe don't think Christmas music is the is the most favorite music of of the year or whatever. And and my wife loves Christmas music. I like Christmas music. One of are as cars you know the presets on the radio are set to stations that only play christmas music uh, this time of the year and i was driving with sherry the other day and i mentioned you know hey you know what's going on with this christmas station do they only play uh secular christmas songs you know they didn't seem to have many songs talking about jesus or whatever and and truly there's only so many times you can listen to rudolph and santa claus is coming to town before you're like let's change the station, right? That's enough of that sort of stuff. Some of you love to shop, but maybe for others, uh, you know, the Christmas shopping, well, it just sort of stinks, right? There's there's so much going on. Every time you walk into the store, it's it's crowded, and you have to wait in the line, and and all of those things. One author described uh, the Christmas shopping season in the United States as retailers feeding on holiday madness like crack dealers. So, that doesn't sound especially positive. I don't know. So maybe the, just the Christmas shopping sort of uh, has you dreading the holiday. Uh, some of us just think, well, the celebration of Christmas starts way too early, right? It uh, goes along with that consumerism sort of thing. The stores put up all their stuff uh, way too soon and, and all of that sort of uh, thing. And, and so we think that Christmas is just celebrated much too early. Uh, the last thing i want to mention from this article is you know the author talks about tacky christmas decorations you can tell that i'm a, i have a keen sense of style and uh, i you know never get dis- accused of being tacky but uh, maybe christmas decorations kind of bug you we just had a, our our leadership uh, christmas party and we celebrate it. My house every year, and it's sort of a tradition—or not sort of—it is a tradition at that party. We have a an ornament exchange. That we play a game, and we change, exchange ornaments, and that's kind of fun. And in every year, there are some folks who come to that party with uh, you know an ornament that they've picked out specifically for how hideous it is right they want to they want to kind of get the, the, the most tacky ornament that they can find and that's kind of fun and and they bring it to the ornament exchange and the, the challenging part of that is is that when you open the tacky ornament you have to decide does the person who brought this uh, did they bring this knowing that it's tacky like on purpose to be funny or does their whole tree at home look like this? You know, and that's, a, that's a kind of a tricky deal. You've got to make that decision sort of spur of the moment. Maybe that's why I think it's a fun, a fun thing. I, I don't know. Uh, there are some silly reasons, I think. I, most of these, you know, I would put into sort of a category of kind of silly reasons that maybe we dread you know, the holidays, right? I mean, you know, okay, the stores are crowded, get over it, you know, and the Christmas music plays too loud, you know, just take a deep breath and, you know, have a Diet Coke, you're going to be okay, right? Most of these are sort of silly. There are some very real reasons that folks struggle during uh, Christmas time, right? Uh, You know, financial stress, we've talked about sort of the way we celebrate Christmas in the United States, if you're struggling financially, if you have some anxiety, some worries about that, if you're just having a difficult time in that area, then kind of the way uh, society, sort of the expectations we place on folks at Christmas time, certainly magnifies that, doesn't it? And it would really be a, a difficult thing, can be a difficult thing for us to deal with just kind of financial questions during uh, Christmas time. Uh, maybe we've lost a loved one you know in in the past year or around the holidays or whatever the deal is and that makes those celebrations uh, a little more um, hard for us to handle and to to figure out how to get through Uh, you know scientists talk about seasonal affective disorder and and uh, you know just even the season can bring on and can kind of magnify you know depression and anxiety and for some folks who deal with that anyway just even the season can kind of magnify that and so uh, that's a a very real reason that folks struggle uh, during Christmas time and and finally you know just the the again sort of our expectations of Christmas uh, you know sometimes the family situation whether it's uh, good or bad or however we're dealing with that that can sort of add to pressure at at uh, at Christmas and so there are lots and and I know I'm that's not a complete list by any means of, of reasons that we might struggle during the, the Christmas season. And so when we talk about hope at, at Christmas, sometimes we're kind of looking at it and we're, we we're hearing the preacher talk about hope and we're thinking, man, I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. I don't know what to do deal, deal with that, how to deal with that, what to do with it, and, and where to go from here. And I I guess what I, where I want to start this morning is to let you know that at the very first Christmas, you know, around that time, there was all kinds of reasons in Jerusalem, in Israel, to be uh, hopeless. And as we, as we take a look at a couple of folks in Luke chapter 2 that you know, are, are going to share a great hope, with us this morning there were all kinds of reasons for them to be hopeless one author described it like this jerusalem was occupied by rome herod was a corrupt king uh, was king of the jews the maccabean revolt was was years and years in the past and now just a memory yet the scripture Yet the scriptures echo across the years that the Jews are God's chosen people. Through them would come the Deliverer. Unfortunately, the materialistic culture of the Greeks, foisted upon them by the Hellenists, blinded them from the spiritual hopes and left them searching for a military and political messiah there was all kinds of reasons for people to be experiencing hopelessness at that very first christmas and we can we can experience more hope this christmas and and i think the story of of two folks who are going to share a a great deal of hope with us in luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 25 and working our way through verse 40 the story of of simeon and anna teach us uh, three steps to experiencing more hope This Christmas, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to uh, Luke the second chapter. We're going to take a look at verses twenty-five through forty this morning in Luke chapter two as we uh, think about how we can experience more hope. How how can we deal with sort of this this uh, dread that some of us experience at Christmas? Where do we begin with that? Luke chapter two, uh, beginning in verse twenty-five. This is what God's word says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required... Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was ...at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too." There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband uh, seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God Was upon him. All right, a a couple of steps that I think are outlined here for us about how we can experience more hope this Christmas. If we're if we're struggling with sort of dreading Christmas, if we're we're dealing with sort of uh, uh, some hopelessness this year, then I think these steps can can point us in the right direction. Step number one is to lean on the Spirit. Verse twenty five says, "Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit." Was upon him. We we meet our first uh, our first person in our story this morning. His name Simeon, and he. he... Man, he's described in such a way that I know I have a lot of work to do before people really begin to describing me like Simeon is described here, huh? Uh, he who was righteous and devout. We we start to unpack this description with those two important words, and of course, when we read that word righteous, I think our first inclination is maybe to think, well, he's doing something that I'm not doing, and and that may be true, and that may not be true. We we think sometimes righteousness is sort of perfect, and and I don't think that's who Simeon was. I don't think he was without sin or anything like that but i do think as we read this description in scripture that calls to mind somebody who's just totally devoted to following god doing everything they can to know god more and more and to to show that off in their life through the decisions that they make and and maybe that's why this next word is added to simeon's description he's devout Uh, that greek word that we translate as devout literally means cautious and that's sort of, it, it, uh, it was interesting to me as I studied that this week. Because as I think about the people of God, you know, we think about all of these folks that we read about in the scriptures. Who follow after Jesus. Who God uses in these extraordinary ways. And, and most often I would not describe them as cautious necessarily. I mean, Peter gets out of the boat, right? You know, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. You know, I, I don't know if I would describe them as cautious. But when you think about that term, it, 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 devout and cautious in their, in their lifestyle and the decisions that they make, they are careful students of God's word. They're careful in their relationship with God. They, they want to make sure that they're doing everything they can to know him and to please him and to, to continue to grow in him. You, you know, they're willing to take risks. You know, I, I thought about it in terms of sports again this week. My son Clayton is a senior in high school. He's wrestling, right? He's on the wrestling team and, and sometimes wrestlers have to cut weight. Clayton though, at the beginning of this year was wrestling up a weight class, which means that sometimes, you know, he would get on the scale and you know, with shoes on and backpack and just be underweight and everything was fine. He wasn't didn't need to be very cautious in what he ate and how he approached that necessarily to make weight anyway and uh, and so but this last week he wrestled at sort of his more natural weight and so out came the food scale at home at supper time right he had to be more cautious about how he was eating and what he was eating and, and just his approach to that week of, of the wrestling competition. Now he was going to take res, risks, right? He was going to go out and wrestle, something that, man, I just wouldn't do. The, the other guy's trying to hurt you, you know? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And they're out there, he's going to take that risk. He's going to do that, but he's going to be cautious in that approach. And I think that that's more at, at the heart of who Simeon was. He was right and he was devout, he was cautious he was serious about his relationship with God he was serious about his service to God And and so it's an awesome description of of how uh, Simeon was living. And and he he goes on to say that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Whenever you read that word wait in the New Testament, you you need to pause. You need to wait and figure out what's being talked about. Because when we hear that word wait, we think about waiting for a bus or maybe waiting in that holiday shopping line, right? There's not much to do. You just, you're hoping to get to the end of the line. You're hoping for the bus to arrive and you can get on at the train or the plane or, or what have you, you kind of wait and hang out and there's nothing to do. But when you read about waiting in the New Testament, there's always an end game. There's always a direction, a process to that waiting. It, it's an involved waiting, and an active waiting. It's sort of the difference between two approaches to finals, right? Students are having finals right now or just had finals in college maybe. And, and when I was in college, many, many Many years ago, you have to add an extra many now, a long time ago, right? There were two approaches I discovered that students took to finals. Uh, one, one set of students would be preparing for those finals all semester long, right? They're attending class, they're doing the homework, they're writing the papers, they're taking the tests, they're, they're learning all through that semester, and they're accumulating all of that knowledge, and they're, they're studying, they're careful about their approach, to their education and they're sort of waiting actively through that semester and they're pretty prepared when that finals arrived then another group of students you know they sort of made their way through the semester, and they got to the finals, and they realized there's going to be this test that covered everything I'm supposed to know from the beginning of the semester to the end, and they spent, you know, a night or two nights or three nights before finals trying to cram all of that information into their head before the test. I don't know what kind of students you were. You can guess which kind of student I was, but it's sort of different approaches to waiting, huh? And when you read the New Testament approach to waiting, uh, you know, God has this plan, he's got this process, he's got this mission we're going to talk a little bit later about for each one of us to be involved in. And we, we truly need to be an active waiter, just like Simeon was waiting for the consolation, the, the promise of Messiah for Israel. And the Holy Spirit, kind of his description ends with this description of the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. When you read that the Holy Spirit was upon him, you should think sort of Old Testament prophet. Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit shows up and then fire comes from heaven. There's this service, this mission that's involved. And when you read in the the Gospel of Luke, you'll read more about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Luke than in any of the other Gospels in the New Testament. He writes a ton about the Holy Spirit. And 76%, that's very specific. I'm not sure who did the math, to be honest, I didn't do the math. But 76% of the time, uh, Luke when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit empowering somebody to share the story of Jesus. More often than not, when Luke is talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit as an agent, an empowering agent, to prepare people to share the story of Christ. That's certainly true of Simeon, huh? Simeon is going to, to prophesy this, he's going to speak this famous song in, in just a verse or two, and he's going to talk about how big and how great and how hopeful Jesus is for the entire world, because the Holy Spirit was upon him. Three quarters of the time when Luke thinks about the Holy Spirit, he thinks about how the Holy Spirit empowers us, followers of Jesus, to share about Jesus. You know, we, we should be thinking this Christmas season. You know, how are we going to share Jesus with our loved ones, with our our neighbors, with our friends, with our family? How are we going to share this this Savior, this hope of the world, with those around us? There's some easy ways for us to do that. They're, they're easier than others, I should say that. They're not. None of them are easy, I suppose. But there's some invitations on your on your chairs, and there's invitations for our Christmas. Uh, Service at the Next Step station. Those are easy to distribute to friends and family, invite them to hear the story of Jesus, uh, just like Simeon was preparing to share the story of Jesus with the folks around him. Verse uh, 27 goes on to say, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child, uh, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So Simeon was moved by the Spirit. Uh, He's He he learns, the the Spirit empowers him. He learns what the Spirit is going to do uh, through him in verse 26, and then he's moved by the Spirit in verse 27. We sort of have this shift from from a very Lukean view of the Holy Spirit to a more Pauline view of the Holy Spirit. How we talk about the Holy Holy Spirit changes in in the New Testament, because Paul talks much more about how the the Holy Spirit is going to change us from the inside out. When we say yes to Jesus, The holy spirit moves in and and he begins to make us new he he builds this new life in us from the inside out He helps us understand uh, What what god's love really is and what it looks like you should jot down romans 5 5 and just go back and look at romans 5 5 uh, Later this afternoon or this week and just think about this connection between the holy spirit And god's love and and how is that manifesting itself in in your life? How's the holy spirit helping you to understand? understand how God loves you more and more. But that's certainly a part of, of how the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And, and finally, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is, is allowing us, granting us greater access to the Father. He's praying on our behalf. He, sometimes when we're in that hopeless sort of situation, when we don't know what to do or where to go or even what to pray, Scripture promises us that the Holy Spirit is praying for us. He's gaining us greater access to the father man there's there's for sure right there's for sure this key this idea of 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 hope that's provided through leaning on the spirit and so we can follow the spirit's direction just like simeon followed the spirit's direction in verse 27 and he goes into the temple's courts we can we can listen to the spirit's nudging as we are careful students of scripture and as we as we gain more access to the father and we learn how god loves us more we can lean more and more on the spirit and uh this christmas and and experience more hope this christmas step number two is to look to the light even when it's hard let's take a look at the song that simeon uh this prophecy that simeon teaches and shares with mary and joseph here in in luke chapter 2 verse 29 it's a famous uh famous section of scripture that described as just the dismissal and so we can we can hear what what uh simeon says in verse 29 sovereign lord as you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people israel it's really a beautiful section of scripture And when we read, when I read verses 29 and 30 and 31 and 32, I hear Christmas, right? That's what we think of when we think of Christmas. Well, Jesus shows up, this baby in the manger, and at peace on earth and goodwill towards men. You know, there's all this hope uh, through Jesus. And man, he brings good news. Verse 32 says, a light for the revelation for the Gentiles. He's good news. He's light. He's the light of the world. You know, uh, he, he, two words that I think stand out here that, that we should hear when we read light and glory in verse 32. You know, light is the gospel, right? That's a word that means good news. Jesus is good news for all men. When Simeon said this, he, he had to hear it in a unique way because Simeon was a guy who had grown up knowing that he was part of God's chosen people. That God was going to rescue his chosen people, his elect, and he was going to make a way to to restore Israel to sort of their their former glory. And when when Simeon speaks these words, he says, no, this new Messiah, this new baby, is the light for not just God's people, not just for Israel, not just for Jerusalem, but for the entire world, for everyone Man, that is great news for us, huh? That's great news that, that Jesus has come and he loves us enough that he's made a way for each one of us to, to be reunited with God. And we can say yes to him no matter where we were born, no matter what we've done, no matter how much we make, no matter any of those things that sometimes the world sort of you know judges us by, we can say yes to Jesus. He's the light of the world. He is good news when we read that word light we should think gospel we should think good news but Simeon goes on to say he's the glory for Israel for God's people and I, I couldn't help but think, you know, we use that same word in our vision statement at Wallula. And, and don't go too far with this, but just, just kind of see behind these creaky doors that lead to my mind this week. And I'm, you know, at Wallula Christian Church, we talk about the fact that Wallula exists to glorify God by equipping believers and transforming the casual. And we talk about this idea of glorifying God as, as our service in the world, you know, how we live, how we serve others, we are bringing glory to God. And, and I think the same thing is true when Simeon is talking about Jesus as the glorification of Israel, right? God's people, they are the conveyors of the story. Simeon might have been hearing this in a new way, but Simeon had access as, uh, he was probably a priest, he, he was certainly devoted In his following of God, he knew the promises. He knew the stories. He could see this kind of coming. He he was a careful student of God's word. He was the conveyor of the story. And as followers of Jesus, as his church, we're the conveyor of the story. We have the opportunity to glorify God by the decisions we make, the conversations we have, the way we share Jesus in this world. I read an author this week who said, you know, we should stop using this rhetoric of the church changing the world. He said that we're too small. Only God can do that. And of course he's right, kind of. Right? Only God can do that. Only God is big enough to change the world. But for whatever reason, no matter how silly or impractical or unreasonable we might think it is... God has decided that his church is the hope of the world. He didn't say, go and make disciples, baptizing them in Jesus' name, uh, Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father, teaching them all that I've taught you. Jesus didn't say that to the wind. Right? He said that to his disciples, to the church. So when we hear glory, we ought to hear mission. When we hear light, we ought to hear good news. And that good news provokes us, it moves us to being on mission, to sharing the story of Jesus. We ought to look to that light, to that good news, even when it's really hard. And as sure as Jesus makes this promise, that Simeon is sharing this promise of Jesus, that Jesus will be light, he'll be good news for us. He'll provide us and offer us and motivate us to mission. He'll give us something bigger to live for than than ourselves. As surely as he makes those promises, Simeon makes this promise for Jesus as well. Following Jesus won't always be easy. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, right? Sometimes it's just hard for us to put the pieces together. And and if you're you've put yourself in Mary's and Joseph's shoes, and man... There would be some moments where you're just like, uh, what's going on? And, and that continues to be that for them. They're, they're marveling at everything they're hearing. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. You know, Jesus, uh, to this very day, uh, he's good news for all the world. He's also sort of this dividing line several christmases ago i had a lunch with a buddy of mine who said lance i just it was a more serious lunch conversation than i was used to uh, to be honest he said lance i can't understand how god wouldn't just how being good isn't enough to go to heaven how being good isn't enough why why do we have to have a relationship why do i have to Make sense of this Jesus guy. What do I have to do with him? And to this very day, Jesus is sort of this dividing line. We have to figure out what we're going to do with Jesus. Uh, Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, tells a story about missionaries who go to China. And uh, very early on, uh, the first missionaries that enter China, they bring these works of art, these paintings with them to, to tell the story of Jesus. And So they have pictures of... Mary and the baby Jesus, and they have pictures of Jesus feeding the 5,000. They have Jesus uh, being crucified, and they have Jesus being buried in the tomb. And, and uh, the, the first recipients of these pictures, they're drawn to the story of Christmas. They love the story of Christmas. They, they can't get enough of it. But when they get to the Jesus on the cross, they're sort of like, uh, I don't know what to do with that. I'm not sure about that. Let, let's go back to the mother of Jesus and the baby in the manger. And, and if we're honest, that's sort of what we do every Christmas, isn't it? We, we bring out the baby in the manger, and we, there's a reason that Christmas is the largest religious holiday celebrated in the world. It's because nobody's offended by baby in the manger. When you talk about this direct link between baby in the manger to the cross and sin... And substitution, and then the the gift of resurrection, people start to sort of worry and sweat that. This this is the way uh, Philip Yancey talks about it in his book, uh, The Jesus I Never Knew. He said... uh, as, a th- as I thumb through my stack of Christmas cards, I realized that we in Christian countries do much the same thing. We observe a mellow domesticated holiday purged of any hint of scandal. Above all, we purge from it any reminder of how the story that began in Bethlehem turned out at Calvary. Each one of us has to decide what we will do with Jesus. And, and when uh, Simeon talks about the rising and falling of many, he's talking about that fact that, that some of us will choose to stand on what Jesus has done, and some of us will stumble across it goes on to say so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well talking about the fact that it wouldn 't even be easy for somebody who was so willing to serve like Mary that she would deal with with a pain and, and as Jesus went to the cross and she experienced that we have to look to the light even when it 's not easy following Jesus always won 't be easy let 's look at step number three, which is to stick to him it's, we're going to change uh, have a shift in who we're talking about as we met simeon first and now we'll meet this prophetess anna in verse 36 there was also a prophetess anna the daughter of phanuel of the tribe of asher she was very old she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 she never left the temple but worshiped night and day fasting and praying so this is quite a description as well. Anna had lived a long life and she'd seen all sorts of stuff. A lot had changed in her lifetime. Have well, you thought about how much has changed in the world around us? I just thought about how we communicate in the last hundred years, how we communicate with each other has really, really changed, huh? A hundred years ago, you know, we would we would be all about the written word and sending letters and sharing letters, and then the telegraph shows up, and that kind of becomes the big deal, and then the phone enters the picture, and, and after the phone, there's a fax machine. We, we can digitally send the written word, and then after the fax machine, there's you know, uh, emails, and then cell phones, and then text messages, and then emojis. There's all sorts of ways that we communicate in the last hundred years. I don't know if it's for the better or not, but a lot has changed, and certainly that was true of Anna. She had seen so much change in her life. One author describes it like this. She had watched Julius Caesar rise to power and knew of his assassination. She watched the steady and sad decline of the illustrious Maccabean rule, which gave freedom to her people for the first time since Ezra and Nehemiah 200 years before. She was a young woman when Pompey, a, uh, a Roman general, conquered the Mideast for Rome. She watches as the hated Herod family was placed in power over Palestine. She witnessed the rise of two opposing religious parties, Pharisees and Sadducees, Sadducees. She had lived under Rome's heavy taxations and under the Jewish heavy religious legalism. The times were ripe for Christ. She watched and waited and hoped. I, I guess I, I'm way more simple than this author, right? I would say she stuck with Jesus. Right She stuck with God, she stayed by Him, she was committed to serving God and, and loving him, and she waited and waited for the Messiah for Jesus to be born. She waited by devoting herself to worship night and day, fasting and praying. You know this Christmas season we can we can make that same decision to to gather together and to worship together. we can make that same decision to be students of god's word and to be you know involved in in small group bible study to study on our own we can make that same decision today to to i want to be in god's word every day as as i lead up uh to my celebration of christmas this year we can we can focus on god's word we can stick with him this christmas season and experience more hope along the way you know christmas ought to be a season of hope and and sometimes it's not our favorite time there's all kinds of things that are added into our our worship of christmas every year and and our, our worship of jesus at christmas every year and and so maybe we struggle a little more than others and And uh, sometimes we worry about things that maybe we shouldn't worry about. I I watched this video this last week. A preacher friend of mine posted this online. And he's talking about how when we celebrate Christmas and some of our traditions are, are tied back to pagan customs. And so we're inadvertently worshiping Satan when we celebrate Christmas. And I think he makes some logical and theological jumps there, right? I'm not so sure you can inadvertently worship Satan at all. Right? And I, I don't think when you put up a Christmas tree you're doing that. But that's sort of what the video, that's not sort of, that's what the video taught and insinuated and all of that. And, and I just thought, man, that is, that, that's is—that—that's a real bummer. And it, even even if all of that is true, and some of it is, you know, the Christmas trees and evergreens, they're tied to pagan worship and they, you know, the, the timing of Christmas, Jesus probably wasn't born in December, and so the timing of Christmas is, you know, the church puts it at, at a time when a pagan celebration happens and that's no mistake, and, and all of that stuff in history. And when I think about that, I think of how awesome it is the church has redeemed some of those ideas and focused them on Jesus, Right? Uh, and I just think that maybe this Christmas, is, it's time that we re-redeem our Christmas. You know, maybe this Christmas is the, is the Christmas when we decide, you know, that we will worship fully, that we'll spend less on stuff we don't need, that we can, so we can give more and love more fully. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you.